Hello, welcome to CarCast plus Edmonds podcast. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get used to that at some point. <laughs> well, I I wanted to say uh, uh, thanks for everyone who's been tuning into the show and sending us uh, some comments. I've been getting messages from you guys and some DMs saying uh, uh, you enjoy it and uh, Alistair's not a bad chap, which. I thought we knew that already, but that's okay. <laughs> For those of you who are just getting introduced to him. But uh, this is the uh, CarCast plus Edmonds podcast, the version of CarCast that includes our friends from Edmonds.com and Alistair Weaver. How are you? Uh, I'm okay. Thank you. That was a glorious introduction. <laughs> um, I, I realize there's some newbies. There's some new new people tuning in, new people getting on to uh, I have actually podcast. noticed my... On my Instagram, a few people uh, we we at Weaver on Cars, which I know you always enjoy. I've had a few people, a uh, few people join there. So yeah, 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 it's nice to be nice to be involved. And obviously done the done the show with you and Bill once uh, once a month for past God five years or something. But it's nice yeah, to expand uh, it and uh, talk more regularly. Is it four years, five years? Something yeah, like four that. years. I think it's been four years. Um, I, I mean, it was like four years, like in March or something like that. So uh, a bit less yeah. gray. Yeah. Um. So I kind of want to get into Detroit Auto Show a little bit. Uh, first of all, just my thoughts on Detroit Auto Show. So I've never been to that show. And uh, just some thoughts, like eh, compared to LA Auto Show, which I've done a bunch of times, you as well. This really just kind of felt like a, an auto show for the big three. Um, and I, you... You didn't get a chance to go, but I don't know how it was last year or in the past, but it was basically like a giant hallway of the big three and the various brands of the big three, right? Jeep and Chrysler and Dodge and Ford and Lincoln. And and, and there was a, a bit of uh, a Volkswagen and and a few, few others. And then in the back corner was like, there was like this barrage of very plain looking like white signs with black text no fanfare at all. And it was just all the other automatic. It was like Porsche, Audi, BMW, Jaguar. Like they were all just jammed in there. And it looked like a bunch of cars parked on a carpet, almost like the showroom of a, of the, of a used luxury car dealer. And they were, they were all just kind of jammed in the back. Uh, and as you're like opening the door to the Jag to look at the car, you're, you're kind of backing into the Porsche 911, right? It was just, it was all kind of just wedged in there. Um, I don't know. Last year, did did any of those cars have a presence? Because here in LA, like the the Porsche room is is like walking through IKEA. There's like footprints on the floor, and it walks you through, and it tells you the story of nine eleven and Macan and Taycan, and you know, and it's. I'm sure they'd love you to. I'm sure if you rang Porsche and said, "Hey, it was great. It was just like IKEA," they would love that analogy. <laughs> or like like exiting like a Disneyland ride, and they yeah. push you out into the store, and it kind of walks you through the store and shows you all the cool things. And you know, and you enter on one side and exit on the other. Like like it's it it had a much more of a display, much more fanfare to it. And they got the hospitality area, and this was like two nine elevens or something like 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 just tucked in the back that you couldn't see. It was just a little sign floating above it. Well, if you go back a bit, I mean, because a lot of auto shows sort of break into two. The way they're funded breaks into two. So sometimes 
it's kind of like the the manufacturers themselves. So the big shows like LA, Detroit, historically, um, Geneva as it used to be, but isn't anymore, was was basically the manufacturers themselves paying a shed load of money. I mean, we mean, mean like sometimes tens of millions of dollars. I mean, I think one year at Frankfurt, Audi spent 400 million euros. So what's that? That's like 400 million bucks on a on an insane show stand with a racetrack on board and everything else. And then there's the other side of like the auto shows, which is where dealers basically pay for a bit of carpet. And it feels like Detroit's probably been a combination of two. I mean, going back a bit, Detroit used to be pretty much the first week of January. Yeah. And it was about minus 100. The wind was howling and everybody used to fly in from all over the world. So those days I was in the in the UK and it was like the ritual start to the year. You go through the holiday season, you have your New Year party, and then you get on a plane to Detroit and you arrive in like the freezing north. But everybody's there. And this was in the days when Ford owned a lunch, bunch of luxury brands like Land Rover, Jaguar, Jaguar, Jaguar yeah. uh, and everybody else. And people like Mercedes would be in town. It was big. I mean, I remember going to G-Wagon launch, like Arnie turned up. It's that big. And then... And then in, you know, in recent times, obviously, like the pandemic didn't help. People were starting to drift away from auto shows, Ford jettisoned half its brands. And so it started to be more and more about like just the big three. They fell out of love with auto shows and Detroit kind of panicked a little bit and said, OK, we're not going to do January anymore because also we're competing with a consumer electronics show in Vegas. Right. Yeah. So let's do the summer because it's quite nice in Michigan in the summer and everybody will come and we can make it more experiential. And sadly it just doesn't really feel like it's worked. Last year was the first time they tried it. It was slightly messed up by Biden turning up and kicking all the media out, which was kind of nuts. (laughs) And then this year it's, I mean, I didn't, I unfortunately was tied up somewhere else. I couldn't make it this year, but you know, we had members of the team there and it feels a little bit like the same thing. And you get, it's kind of get a real, there's like a sniff test to these things. If you walk mm-hmm. in and you've got big glamorous stands and you know the wine flowing on media days and everything else, then then it's a show. If it's just a bunch of carpet with some cars parked, then it sort of tends to imply people play at lip service and they're there because they feel like they need to be. Yeah. And it's interesting because as as the shows like this start to dwindle in attendance and uh in in media coverage, then the car companies all of a sudden have more of a budget to get media out there, right? So now, <laughs> now they're reaching out to people that wouldn't normally, you know, be part of the group that gets paid for to get out there. You know, they just cover the trip. They don't pay you to be there. They just like, hey, would you like to go to the Detroit Auto Show? We have an airplane for you, you know, uh, hop on a Delta flight or something and go out there. So, um, it's just kind of kind of interesting. So what would what you would probably normally see there would be like the big three and all their brands as you walk in to the main hall, and that was there all front and center. And then kind of behind that, you probably would see, like you said, Jaguar, Mercedes, and BMW, and Alfa Romeo, and 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 Land Rover. But instead, they had cars driving they have you know they have broncos and and jeeps and they're climbing up obstacles and 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 doing these kind of experiential ride-alongs off of you know 
metal and wood that they built together out there. Interesting because they just want to show the vehicle, but it wasn't even like dressed up. Like here's a fake mountain and you get, and there's water flowing out. It was just like a, a metal, a metal yeah. ramp welded together. And it looked kind of cool to, to drive on it, but uh, just they filled the space with just experiential driving, like these driving things. I think this is it, but like how much, I think people would be shocked, like how much money goes into or just goes into auto shows. Like I, I was being regularly told like a, a press conference, like an old school auto show press conference where, you know, get this like herd of media turned up. And like, from my perspective, it's a bit of a waste of time because everybody gets the same story. And generally what happens is the CEO stands up and spouts a bunch of corporate platitudes and everybody applauds and that's the end of it. But these things can cost like two million bucks to to put on. Yeah. By the time you've put all the the infrastructure together, and that's just the press conference, and then you can spend like twenty million bucks on a stand, and you, you start to add all this together, and these just things are so expensive to do in the way that they used to do them, which was was super glamorous. I mean, I heard one year that a major luxury brand decided that they wanted to bring in their own food because they wanted to create the right ambiance or whatever yeah and then the show said well no because we have a contract for food and you have to buy your food from right x right and all the venues have their own food and beverage or yeah. caterer company yeah and, and they basically well it. we don't yeah. want to do that we want you know breakfast and crudités and you know whatever yeah. so apparently what they did was they they bought the food that they had to buy i believe they took it down to like a local shelter or something so it wasn't wasted and they said, all right, now we bought it. Now we can have our own food. And everybody went, mm, all right then. Yeah, right. But it was this and, kind of like grandeur and, attached to these things. And they wouldn't be allowed to serve it. You would still have to hire the, their food and beverage department at the venue to serve it. Yeah, right? I, I imagine. I, yes, I imagine. You, so. you, you can't bring in your own workers for it. You have to use their workers. So uh, there's a, there's a lot of Especially if you have like, a bar. If you have a bar with alcohol, you, you got to use their beverage people. They got to sell to the venue. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't get through press day without a... Without a, 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 a without some a, a, without some without booze, some, that's for sure. Without some booze, actually, Morgan Morgan at Geneva used to be the best because they you, you had a deal with a uh, with a, a couple of whiskey brands, and they always used to have really good single malt. They were really pushing the sort of um, it's a yeah, it's probably not the sort of thing to be admitting, but it was uh, it was it was good fun. I mean, back in the day, back in the day, auto shows were like. I remember starting in this industry, and I started as a twenty-one year old in ninety-eight. And I remember my first Geneva show in 1999 and you had this Geneva in Switzerland, the whole idea of like Switzerland was you had this neutral territory and everybody used to go. And the, the show was geographically small, which was a good thing because it meant that everybody basically had a similar size stand and it was a super glamorous location. Everybody loved going. And this was always at the beginning of March. And a lot of people would go over, you'd ski in the Alps, you'd go to the show. It was, it was great. And Fiat used to do a boat and then Volkswagen took it over where they literally moored a boat on Lake Geneva and just had like a free bar all night. So you went to the show, then you went to the famous boat and pretty much drank, everybody drank themselves into a stupor till six o'clock in the morning, stumbled off the boat, went home. I mean, this is pre social media and pre internet, everything else, but it was like, I don't know. I look back on those times and in some ways they were great, but they just feel so far removed from where we are today. You could do all that if there's not a driving event, right? Uh, look, and then, and, and then there was a fine. There was a famous given like some 
Volkswagen group like board member turned up at two o'clock in the morning and there's like media like stumbling around everybody's completely hammered on free verve click a or whatever it was <laughs> and apparently and he's like around and expressed concern that the, the place was too busy and just looked out of control and he said something <laughs> like next year we need another boat but <laughs> <laughs> these were these were great days they were they were I don't know. Were they great days? I suppose they were great days if you were like 21 and somebody was offering you a free bar for, yeah. Yeah. And the whole experience and bring you around and make sure you're, you know, you've, you're, you're getting a ride or you're walking to your hotel or back and forth. Like it's all kind of very planned. I, I will say that like that aspect of, of what we get to see a little bit with, working with the manufacturers and going, Hey, you're going to come out to this event or you come out to this event. There's, there's, it's usually pretty, usually pretty well done. Like how they handle, how they handle hospitality and accommodations and travel and just moving you to point, point A to point B. You know, I was just out there. Um, I was out there pretty much with Ford. Um, I was out there for a few days because they wanted to do, had me there for the launch of the F-150. And then like two days later, or yeah, two, three days later, basically, I was there Monday morning for F-150 event. And then the auto show doesn't open until Wednesday. And then Wednesday night, they were doing this this big Mustang event where they had everything Mustang related, by the way. It was very cool. Uh, motorsports, whatever. They had Bob Tasca's funny car to the new GT3, GT4, they had the, the Mustangs and Dark Horse and GTD and and all kind of under one roof in one area. And, uh, you know, uh, the stock car uh, there. So they're like, this is Mustang and motorsports. Uh, so I did as much work as I could from the hotel and recorded a podcast, did whatever, but I had a little bit of, of time. So I said, hey, uh, where's, the, where's the Ford headquarters in relation to the hotel? Uh, I want to take a tour of the, of the plant. And they're like, Oh, well, yeah, we didn't think about that. That's a great idea. And I was like, yeah, the, I want to go to the Rouge plant where they build the F-150. And I know we got into this a little bit earlier in the week with Goldberg, but uh, they, they said, great. They got a ticket they fired up a transit van and someone drove me over there and I went on the tour basically by myself and, and I walked out and the guy was waiting for me. He's like, hope you enjoyed your tour. Let's go back to the hotel. And it was a, it was a nice half a day to, uh, to, to tour all that. I got more into what the tour was. Um, and just super impressive by the way, just the, the, it's, it's funny. If you've never been to a, to a car plant, they're like extraordinary things. I mean, just the, to see, just to see, just as a thing to 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 behold, and how fast you make cars, and the complexity of the robots, and they're they're amazing. It, that assembly line moves at a pace that each worker gets fifty three seconds to accomplish what they have to do: put in a headliner, or put a door glass in, or whatever. But it doesn't stop unless the whole thing stops, which means every fifty three seconds, it's spitting off a fully completed F one fifty at the end of the assembly line. It, you know it's yeah it's it's cool it's impressive uh for sure uh and then they were like saying they were building a new plant in kentucky that's like two times the size maybe more than that and they're like wait till that's done come see that and i was like i would love to go see that it's massive i also have like big respect for a lot of people who work on those lines because you know i have the attention span of a gnat and you know it, it's 
repetitive there's no getting away from it it's repetitive work and to have that kind of level of you know attention and to do that to do, to do i remember doing a a shoot in Zar Louis in France with a there's Ford has a plant down there they used to make the um the Focus I think they still still may do and there was a guy there and it said he he was like the front right door guy mm-hmm. and basically what they tend to do I, I believe not I don't know whether every company does this but they kind of rotate people around the line so that you don't get bored but yeah well, this guy just wanted to do doors so he'd done for like 16 years he'd been like putting a front right door on a Focus yeah. And I just had huge respect for that because I couldn't do that. I would, my mind would disappear after a few minutes and then I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't necessarily be paying attention or my 53 seconds would be up or whatever it would be. And yeah, it's quite a, it's quite a thing to work in one of those places. And it gives you a real, I think it gives you a real appreciation of what goes into a car when you kind of see it come together. Yes, it, it, it certainly does. And the combination of the people, and there are some robots, robots putting the you know front and rear glass in on an F-150 and all of its lasers it uses for alignment and, and just kind of how it all, all works. But not everybody has to work exactly the same. I saw, uh, I saw a couple of guys working in the cab of the truck. The carpet was in, dash was in, um, but the rear seats and stuff weren't in. And they were doing some of the trim on the rear bulkhead uh, below the the rear glass. And one guy looked like he liked to climb into the vehicle and do his thing. And another guy was on a, was on a seat on a giant swing arm and the swing arm would like move him into the vehicle. So he wanted to sit and do it and somebody else didn't want to sit and do it, but they were essentially doing the same thing. And it looked like two stations. And as it moves along, uh, you almost like skip every other one because you know they're they're moving at a quick pace but you you like you said it's very repetitious and i saw somebody working on a door and this this woman was putting the mirror on and putting the screws in and locking them down and doing a few things and then the next door would kind of go by and she wouldn't touch it but then the next person would so there's multiple people doing the same thing it's not like one person is doing every single side mirror. Uh, but you know, it was, it was interesting to see. And you're right. Once it's in, you get a rhythm to it. Um, yeah. It, it looked like everyone was like comfortable in what they were doing, probably because they keep doing it and doing it. But uh, it, it also gives you a reason of like how the, the whole just in time supply where everything arrives at the plant just in time to be fitted. So you don't stockpile everything. It gives you an also yeah. in the same like when, you know, we've had all the supply problems in the past couple of years, how that breaks down that, you know, if the grommets don't arrive, you know, if like a little rubber bushing for some suspension part doesn't arrive, then like the whole thing's screwed. Yeah. And it's so, just, it's just, a, and it, it's just an extraordinary like logistical challenge to put these things together. That, that was, that was an interesting thing because so many fasteners are being installed and, if one fastener goes in and the threads cross or the threads on that on that that screw were not correct, the entire assembly line has to stop. Yeah. Until that is fixed. Right. And and now they didn't say this to me, but I started looking at it and I was like, there's so many parts that have the stud portion attached to it. So people just attach a bolt. They don't thread into metal. And I think it's 
probably has a lot to do with that. Has a lot to do with two parts is when you put a part on and it's got studs on it, it kind of holds itself in place. And I saw a lot of workers doing that, putting a mirror on, it holds itself under the door because it's on studs. And then she goes, gets the bolts and puts the bolts on the end of those studs. If you put a screw into the mirror, you'd have to hold the mirror on one side, put the screw into the other. Right. And there was a lot of studs involved uh, for that reason, I would imagine. And probably to help prevent like cross threading into a piece, like, like a nut cert in a door. Right. So instead everything's kind of done the opposite way. Uh, anyway, kind of, Interesting. I was fascinated by the whole process. And there's a whole much more to the whole building and everything that you can hear about on the on the other show. Yeah. And then when you uh, look at like EV plants now, like trying to put in all the batteries and then having to re-engineer everything for that, it's yeah, it's it's yeah, it's crazy stuff. It's crazy, yeah. which kind of brings up the UAW strike, which as we're here recording this, it just started, it just happened. And a little different than what's happened in the past is it seemed like in the past, if the UAW was going to strike um, to try to get some leverage in their negotiating, and I, I'm not saying I have the slightest idea what's happening behind the scenes, so I don't want to speak to that. But uh, but instead, they said, no, we're going to go to the big three companies all at once instead of having one manufacturer like Ford or GM doing the, the negotiating, and then they would strike maybe one plant for that manufacturer but instead they're striking at three plants one of each of the big three and shutting down uh, twelve thousand seven hundred employees shutting down of the i don't know what is it a hundred thousand plus maybe maybe way more than that um it's yeah it's it, it's it's a little bit more than that but it, it it feels i mean I, again i'm i'm not sort of close close to this the, the side of things but it's it's interesting how they're um how they're going about it because obviously it's not everybody out and they're also at the moment not targeting the big cash cow vehicles like the f-150 the, the silverado etc yeah so yeah. it's 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 kind of pretty strategic at the moment shall we say um so i think you know the, the what's what's affected is colorado uh bronco ranger wrangler etc so and the other thing at the moment uh, yeah, I think it's about nine percent of the membership uh, is is currently effectively not 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 working. I was surprised that this is the first time it's actually affected all all of the big three simultaneously. Yeah, um, which so, is, I mean, it's a serious it's a serious situation that could could, it, could escalate. It is now. Uh, you know, they're asking for more money and fewer hours and some more benefits, which I think is on par with what a, a union would do. I don't know the financials behind the whole thing of what's reasonable, what's not reasonable. All we can do is kind of look at the history and and what does that mean for consumers, right? It means that uh, at some point, whatever inventory is left on dealer lots or, you know, still being shipped or in a, you know, a parking lot at, at the factory, uh, that's going to get used up. And then when that's used up, you won't be able to get for a while as you said, Ranger, Jeep Gladiator, Bronco, you know, GMC Savannah, like, you know, Chevy Colorado. Uh, and that does start to trickle down to the consumer as well. Um, those vehicles that you want that you can't get will go up in price. Anything used will go up in price. Uh, you know, who knows? Um, you know, we saw a lot 
of dealer markups from dealers when supply chain was was significantly limited um, because the dealers needed to make money, <laughs> basically. And so they're, now you're getting markups on things you would never expect a markup on. You know, it's it's not you know, some crazy limited production supercar. It's, it's a, I don't know, it's a Kia Telluride. Like why they want to make as many as possible. Why, why would you pay 10,000 over sticker when you will lose it immediately? <laughs> but uh, anyway, that's kind of the trickle down effect of, of what's happening over there. So hopefully it gets worked out. Yeah. It sounds so. like I they're mean, close. It's an interesting, because at the moment there is, the models in question have, from what I understand, have decent inventory. Um, so de basically, dealers have stock to sell. But eventually, that would, in you know, in theory, run out. Uh, there's also the risk that the, the strike extends to other uh, other workers, other other lines. And of course, at the moment, this is only affecting the big three. So, you know, what will consumers do? Well, consumers potentially, if they can't get supply of the big three, will start to look around the market and say, well, what can I get? Yeah. You know, can I get a Toyota? Can I get a, you know, a Honda? And right. then you're into market share and, and everything else. And, you know, if you look back at the history of the British car, British car industry, for example, you know, back to the 1970s, there was an awful lot of strikes. Some of that was management related. Some of that was union related. And the industry never really recovered. And so it's uh, it's always a, you know, it's always a worrying time. And, you know, the history of the car is littered with these sort of problems and, you know, brands going brands being compromised as a result never quite recovering so we will see it's a long way from that at the moment and i suspect you know it'll get sorted out sooner it, rather than later it, it, hopefully it does if if this goes for more than like 30 days there's going to be a boom in honda ridgeline sales which i'm sure honda would really appreciate <laughs> yeah yeah and um you know and the old argument used to be you know the sort of the, the loyalty thing, but actually, you know, obviously, a lot of these the, most of these vehicles are made in the US in in different plants anyway. The you know the BMWs, the Toyotas, etc. So we will we we will see. But yeah, it'll have it's it's the knock on effect down the line to you know, and these sort of things can play out two or three years later with used car supply and you know every, everything else that everything else that goes with it. It's also a kind of point in the you know where the industry is actually you know with the whole move to electrification. The industry is in a tight spot generally. And although we've seen profits looking pretty good, you know, the amount of money that's then been reinvested into research and development to try and break through in the, the EV market is huge. Yeah. And that's putting massive pressure because at the moment, you know, EVs are not very profitable, certainly if you're not Tesla. And Ford's been struggling to make money on the Mach-E, struggling to make money on the Lightning. And there's a price war going on in that market. So it's just another pressure. And it's, uh, you know, it's it's going to be a kind of tough few years of transition for a lot of manufacturers as we move to this kind of EV future. So if you kind of layer on this on top, you know, then it's, um, yeah, it's a tough place to be. You know, um, moving on to the auto show. Uh, it's happier news. <laughs> yeah, right. Cars, so you can, I, can, I, cars you can buy. I, I know you weren't there, but I know your team brought brought back some information and again because the show is mostly about the big three uh and we covered it earlier this week uh on the shows is is a lot around the ford f-150 kind of a, a mid-cycle refresh of f-150 some new features some new trim updates uh heads up display their new fancy tailgate um and uh, uh some some pretty cool 
I mean, the, the cool features are the modular front bumper on on some of the models like Tremor um, are, are very cool. Uh, the tailgate option is is cool. That's a kind of a, a welcome new feature. Um, heads up display and they're all going to get digital dash. Uh, some of the lower end models were not getting a digital dash. Now they're all going to get digital dash. Um, the, uh, the app, which has, uh, the Ford app, which has a feature that kind of gets a little closer to test a little closer to managing your own anti-theft features would be if, if anything's happening to your truck, it has an accelerometer in the truck, um, so if somebody even jacks up your truck to steal the wheels on it or tries to tow it or steal it, it would alert you on your app. Now, if it's three in the morning and you're asleep and you're not going to see it, then you're going to see it when, when you get up. But if you're up and you see it immediately, it will give you the option to go, hey, this is me. Don't worry about it. Or it'll say, this is not me. I'd like to contact the authorities. And it helps you do that process. You can contact the authorities. It fills in some of the information, sends VIN number. Um, it's kind of a cool feature. Or if you're like Goldberg, you can take matters into your own hand, <laughs> although not <laughs> send recommended. The, send the zebra. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, uh, <laughs> it, it happened to us in the in the Lucid the the other week. Uh, we have a Lucid that we own as part of our, our our fleet, and I suddenly got a you know one of those Apple notifications saying your Lucid is I can't remember the phraseology. It basically said like your your Lucid is a weird angle, and <laughs> an angle not commensurate with traditional typical driving. Yeah. And then I looked to, we have like a sheet that you can go to and see who's got it. And it said, nobody's got it. And I was like, oh, gosh, this is like rang it's around the towed. office. Like, well, what's <laughs> happened? It's getting towed. It's got yeah. it. Somebody's, somebody's pinched it. Turned out to be a false alarm. But it, but it's, yeah, I mean, this stuff's, even we have a, my family car is a Genesis. And that has a feature where you can push a button on the, on the app. And it will take, it will take pictures around the car to show you what's going on around the vehicle. So, yeah, there's yeah. some really cool, there's some really cool tech sort of moving over from, consumer electronics and things like that and everybody's everybody's getting into the i mean the f-150 thing with it seemed to me like a class i i i haven't sort of physically seen it yet but it's uh it seems like a classic case of if it isn't bust don't fix it isn't it if it ain't bust don't fix it right like, so that few tweaks that, here and there don't spend too much money tidy up the software and so, you know you're right so a lot more tech forward stuff right because those are things that they can change uh, a little bit more on the fly without a real hardware investment um, and you're right. Those types of things don't affect the assembly line that we were just talking about, right? Um, uh, putting the digital dash in all of the F-150s is no different than the assembly line currently because it already has it uh, on yeah. some of the vehicles. So they're just saying, now we're out with the analog. Now we're just, everything's going to be that option. And you probably, and the fact that you're then building everything with it probably means that the cost comes down, everything else. And yeah, it's interesting. Like yeah. as an aside, we, I got a, notification i'm living with our the rivian r1t at the moment the truck and i we, we've been critical of the ride quality and the ride quality is not great um and then suddenly there's an over air update which is promising to improve the ride quality so it's like it's going to take 65 minutes but you'll feel a better ride quality and did you try it yeah and it genuinely has given you a little bit more compliance and i mean it's not like you've suddenly stepped out of a truck into a mercedes s class but Right. It is, you know, it is, you know, if you if you're used to jumping out and out of different cars, then, you know, it, it does feel a bit different and it has improved it. But it's it's I mean, yeah, that's a function of the fact that the Rivian's got air suspension, electronic damping, so you can do stuff with software. You know, if you everything's passive on your car, you can't do that. But it is crazy. Like we think about, you know, just what you can do now. 
somebody at Rivian can say like, ah, oh, we yeah. sorted the damping, we tweaked the suspension, like this is not hardware, we're going to push a button and suddenly everybody in a Rivian has got a better ride quality. Yes, and that that is kind of cool. And that is kind of uh, a, a, a trick feature to it. I mean, look, Ford also talked about the uh, Mustang Mach-E, the Rally E. Yeah, um, I think that's cool, right? And I, I think it's, it's a bit cool. of a gimmick, but I think it's cool. Uh, you know, when you when you when you see like, oh, Porsche's got Porsche Dakar and and Lamborghinis, whatever off road type vehicle, and yeah, then what's it called Hurricane. Yeah, yeah, I, I know which one you mean. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. And I and I saw one in Monterey, and you know, like I was, I walked by and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool, but I don't, I don't like, I don't know who gets it, but we were at the track at Laguna Seca, and um. I'm sure whoever brought that thing uh, had a VIP parking spot, but they're like, no, 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 I'm going to hit the dirt lot. I'm going to park with everybody else <laughs> because it's the only time that everything that thing's going to see dirt is when you're in the, when you're in the dirt lot at Laguna Seca. Uh, but the Maki is, um, you know, it sits almost an inch higher. It's like 22 millimeters higher. It's got a cool, like, I don't know, like rotoform kind of wheel or something on it. And, uh, uh, the tires to to equip it, but talking about just software improvements, um, they're saying that thing is quicker zero to sixty than the Maki Performance, the Maki GT Performance, which is zero to sixty in like three point five. This will do it a little faster. I don't know, maybe it's three point four, but the point is, it's is they were able to just do it with software. And then uh, you had mentioned a, a while back, the amount of time you get that peak power is really kind of limited on that Mach-E and it's supposed to be longer, uh, be available longer in the rally E. And when I asked them about it and they said, really it was just efficiency in, in, in software. It was just, we're able to just do it all on a computer. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and and have some fun fun with it at the same time. Do you know how much that thing's going to cost you? I haven't seen the price for it. Um, I, I, can I imagine don't it's know. Be you know, a chunk I, of change. I, yeah, I I had it somewhere, but I don't know what it is. But look, I don't know what it's a, a Maki performance GT performance 60, 65 grand. I think it's going to be yeah. somewhere in there. Um, I don't think it's like a fifteen thousand dollar markup. It's 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 a couple of grand. Yeah, you know, I, think, I say markup, uh, but I don't mean like a jump. I don't, I don't think it's going to be eighty thousand bucks. Yeah, I think it's going to be. Yeah, I'm just no, I'm just looking at our our, um, our content on it. It's about sixty five grand, which yeah, I, I think it's going to be a bit of. I think it's going to be a bit of fun at that price. Um, None of I these things it, are cheap. I saw it in person, and you know, it's got revised front end. It's got the wing on the back, and it's got the cool stance to it, and kind of this. It it's a it's a it's a nine eleven Dakar for you know. Less than a third almost of the price. 9/11 money. Well, not <laughs> yeah. quite. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, well, I mean, uh, the 911 Dakar just sold on regular trailer for like three hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars or something, or three hundred forty thousand dollars, something ridiculous like that. And when it was stickered, it was I don't know, it was two fifty or two eighty or something. It was it was a it was a wildly big jump from nine eleven to nine eleven Dakar. And I'm not saying this is apples apples by any means. That's a cool car, but the the Mustang Rally E is not slow, right? Like it's it's fast. If if it's anywhere near that three and a half second range, I think it's gonna scoot around pretty good. Yeah, and 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 the Mackie generally is quite fun to drive. And if you stick some chunky seats in it and tighten it up a little bit, it's only gonna get it's it's only gonna get better. And yeah, it's it's nice that they're having some fun with I mean, you know, I grew up 
I grew up, you know, my kind of love for cars, if you like, came from that era of the Sierra RS 500, the Cosworth, which yeah. never really kind of had the same, you know, that was more of a kind of European thing. But like the Escort RS Cosworth that they all went rallying with and, it, you know, they were they were iconic cars and, you know, they, they had the big wings and the crazy turbos. And it's kind of fun that they're starting to bring that into the EV world. And I think that's something that we're going to now see in the next year or two is that everybody's going to try and reimagine their icons as evs so we've seen volkswagen come out and show off like a gti ev bmw is going to talk about like a a a proper sort of m3 equivalent but electric or an m5 which is genuinely electric and everybody's got these really really powerful brands so everybody's saying well we gotta we can't just give up on 50 years of heritage so how do we take this forward in electric world so i think we're going to see more and more and more of this stuff. I mean, the Volkswagen was really interesting as a front-wheel drive hot hatch EV. So, yeah, we'll see. It's cool. Now it's there was there was more out there. What did you What did you guys bring home? Um, Any news Glad- on anything interesting? The Gladiator, you know, Jeep's little pickup truck. That's had um, that's had a refresh. The Wrangler is basically just bringing it in line with the Wrangler because that that truck shares so much with the Wrangler. Yeah, that it's just bringing it, you know, new infotainment. That's something it's bringing up to speed. I mean, the Gladiator has always been a strange one in that, you know, it's never quite captured the imagination. I want to say it sells about half as many as a as a Tacoma, if that, barely that, yeah. I think. So, uh, and the Tacoma's had some supply problems as well. So it's, you know, it's it's a nice thing. It's an interesting vehicle, but it's just never quite captured the imagination. I think as perhaps Jeep Jeep hoped it would. You know, I I walk through. Buick, and they've got a couple of sharp-looking vehicles. Uh, what's going on with Buick? We never talk about it. Nobody ever talks about Buick. I mean, uh, well, a lot of their vehicles for a long time were, were basically rebadged GMs from Europe, and of course, then Opel got sold and everything else. That created thing. No, it's right. It's it's like the it's like the forgotten the forgotten American brand, isn't it? We don't. We don't come on the show and talk about it. You know, years ago they had Tiger Woods, but then, you know, that's not that's not happening anymore. So, you know, they just seem to to sort of plod along doing their thing and appealing to a, you know, certain demographic. And yeah, it's it's just But do, but they don't seem to like come up in 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 rankings of vehicle tests when we look at like what what are the hot SUVs and and I mean, Buick comes up when somebody says, where can I get a pretty good deal on a new car? And go, yeah, Buick's got some pretty good deals on cars. And that's that's the only time anybody ever asks me about Buick. But I, I, I don't really see it like rank anywhere. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying they're getting by with just being okay. And and there's attracting a, a customer that is like this seems nice enough. There's a few brands. I mean, Infinity probably falls into that category as well. I mean, accurate uh, at times. I think Accurate's products improved recently, but it's more, you know, where they they sort of sit into in this middle world where they're not quite mainstream, they're not quite luxury. Um, you know, they don't have the cachet, and then you know you end up competing on on the deal and the proposition. Um, more than more than the kind of you know I must have one of those, but you know you can do okay in that world. So you know that, you can. As you say, I, I, Acura stands out a little bit more because they 
they're they're pretty active in motorsports, right? They're, yeah, they're and I think Acura's got some interesting they, stuff. Yeah, yeah, they got some they got some cool things going on, and uh, not that we saw it at this auto show, but so I did see Cadillac Lyric. I didn't see Acura ZDX, but this is essentially a shared platform. Now Cadillac released their vehicle first, so Acura had a little bit more time to figure out what they're going to do with this very, very basic platform. Right. And, and their answer was a little more room on the inside, certainly a little bit different look than, than the Cadillac. Uh, And now it's going to be essentially going to be who executed better on that platform, Cadillac versus Acura, because I don't know that, one of those brands stands out more than the other. I guess maybe Cadillac does a little bit because Cadillac's hit. Uh, Cadillac has gotten a lot of attention from some of its V-series vehicles, its performance vehicles, right? Um, the CT5, Blackwing, cool. A little long in the tooth, a little dated. There was a little refresh cosmetically on it at the at the Detroit Auto Show. But, but yes, it's still cool because you can go, hey, I can jump in an incredibly fast, awesome four-door with a manual transmission. And there's not many options like that available. So that is cool. Or a Cadillac says, I'm going to do a giant Escalade, put a ridiculous engine in it, make it a V-Series, and it's going to sound like a Camaro. (laughs) And I think all these brands, like they have to work out in this new world what they are. And I think this has been... This has been particularly true of Cadillac for a while. It's like, are you the American luxury brand or are you trying to be like an American sports car, sports brand, or are you trying to be, you know, and and the same with Acura. Is it just like a posh Honda? Is it trying to be a sports car? Is it trying to be, and especially then you go into into the EV world. Um, And I think Cadillac, you know, from what we're seeing, there's some, you know, they're trying to reposition themselves as this, you know, America does luxury. And and maybe that's a good place for them place for them to be in. Um, yeah, we'll see. Well, Lincoln the is there is with as a well. You can't buy one, right? Lincoln is there as well, but Lincoln needs to build a better car. There's no secret around that. Ford knows it. Everybody knows it. Like they they did some really great redesigns, and uh, you know, Aviator and stuff is is nice looking, nice on the inside, but the quality is just not there. That's, that's been an issue, whether it's a Ford issue, a supplier issue, but ultimately it falls on their shoulders and they just need to build a better vehicle. But I think Lincoln has a better shot of being the luxury brand than Cadillac because the Cadillac has been leaning all of its presses around the performance side of it. So, uh, and I don't know what that means. What, what does that compete with BMW ish? You know? Yeah, Audi, BMW, yeah. Mercedes, I guess. Um, you could say Acura, but that they they would say that they're above Acura in the you know in the in the brand perception. Going back to Lincoln, it's kind of pointed at this this week. It's a bit inside baseball, this, but Ford Ford just hired a CMO from Toyota, and it was really pointed in the in the press release that they talked. She talked about um, Lincoln specifically, and I think you know they've. There was always this feeling that, you know, when they bought Jaguar, they bought Land Rover, they had Aston Martin for a while, and they were going to really focus on this kind of European luxury. Ford no longer has that. So, that you know, Lincoln is their last their last hope of doing something with, you know, let's face it, with margin. And 
you know, we're seeing a lot of these mainstream brands say it's just gone to the wall in, in, in they're shutting down that in Europe because they want to focus on Cooper, which is more of an upmarket brand. So ultimately that's where the margin is, you know, the margins in Audi, not Volkswagen. Yeah. So if you, you, if you can make these luxury brands work, then, you know, there's a lot of money to be made. Well, I would say that, uh, these car companies have a lot of work ahead of them. <laughs> uh, the, just so many things outside of their world, you know, like UAW now and politics and charging you know, infrastructure, and charging like infrastructure. And like, there's, and... there's so many things that are, uh, I, I don't want to say outside of their world. It's, it's definitely affecting them. They there's, there's a, a grasp on it, but, I don't know, just a lot that you probably would have said to them 10 years ago, get ready for charging infrastructure, get ready for supply chain issues, get ready for, you know, battery technology in China and get ready for all that. They'd be like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. And and who? what was the one company that, that figured all this out? Tesla. Tesla. Yeah. I just started yeah. reading Elon Musk's new autobiography. That's uh, not, not autobiography, biography. That's kind yeah. of an interesting. Yeah, I'm, I don't. I I heard he's not happy about it. But uh... no, but the book is kind of saying that's what makes him happy. So we'll see. Maybe there's a, maybe there's <laughs> okay. a negative in there somewhere. Um, one last thing is uh, as we wrap it up, I know you guys are uh, uh, working on more videos. Uh, the U drag stuff is always kind of fun. What's the latest version you guys got? Uh, well, we have a, a Civic Type R against the uh, Cor uh, Corolla um Corolla so we got front wheel drive against all wheel drive so that's that's been getting um yeah some chat with a kind of surprising result well sort of surprising who's driving are okay. you driving in this one I'm driving in that one which yeah. what car are you driving well we drive both so you you start in one and then swap to the uh swap to the other so I'm I'll watch the, the video to get the time. results but which one do you like to drive better what I said when you say this in the video is is yeah I don't want to don't want to run a spoiler but the Toyota's cool. If you had like a, a like on in the canyons or something like that, or on dirt, the Toyota would be more fun just because it's a bit more raw and urgent and more like a kind of rally car. But the Civic's just a, a really good polished thing. I mean, I never imagined that you'd say I'd prefer a front wheel drive car to an all wheel drive or something. But the Civic's just it's just a really well done. It's just a really well done thing. And I I've driven the Civic and it is cool. I'm not really a front wheel drive fan, but um. For what it is, I think that's a very, very cool car. But I still haven't driven the the Acura Integra, uh, the Type S, the Civic yeah, version. Yeah, it, it's, it's a slightly, I have, and it's just a, it's basically the same car, but a little bit more refined. So it's a little bit like. But it's an all-wheel drive version. Uh, No, it's still front-wheel drive. Is it? <laughs> are, you getting, are you getting your Acuras confused here? I'm about to embarrass myself. No, it's the same. What they have got, they haven't got like the, the there's a bit less. It's a sort of more mature version of the Civic Type R. Okay. Are you Googling I'm, this? I'm just curious. I thought it was going to be. This. We're going to have to edit this out or my reputation is going to be in tatters. I just thought they were doing their super handling all-wheel drive, but I guess it's probably just front-wheel drive. You're probably right. It's probably, just, it's probably no real difference. Yeah, I don't know. I maybe they don't offer it. I don't know if they offer the. And yeah, I don't. Stick. I don't think they're going to have an all-wheel drive version of of the Integra. I don't think the platform can take it, but it's it's a cool car, and the Integra is just a slightly more grown-up version. So if you feel slightly, 
self-conscious and a civic type R, which I can understand why sometimes why you'd feel that, then yeah. maybe the Integra is a good, uh, a good look. Right on. All right. So uh, Edmunds.com is the website. You can find everything there and uh, subscribe to their YouTube channel as well. So you can see what's going on with Alistair on video. If listening to him is not enough, you want to see him as well. <laughs> you can tune in there. <laughs> He's struggling with insomnia. <laughs> um, I'm better than melatonin. <laughs> Uh, all right, I think that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Uh, thanks, guys. To end on. Until next week, keep the air and the spare and the bag and the wheel. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit carcastshow.com.